Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. Wednesday, June 18th, 2003. Around 9 p.m., 17-year-old transgender female, Nyria Johnson, and her best friend, 18-year-old cisgender female, Brandy Coleman, were hanging out that evening when they stopped at a traffic light and they came across 20-year-old Paul Moore and 25-year-old Curtis Ward. So Paul Moore, riding in the passenger side of Curtis's Ward's car, sees Nyria Johnson and the driver's side of the car and basically what happens is is that they ultimately decide to pull over at a gas station parking lot. Nyria Johnson, Paul Moore, they get out of their vehicles. They talk a little bit, you know, exchange phone numbers, right? This is typical amongst young individuals. You know, late teens, early 20s, you see someone, you agree, you know, chemistry, compatibility, connection, and all of that seemed to be the case for Nyria Johnson and Paul Moore. The two did decide to meet, you know, within the next month or so after the 4th of July holidays to really just spend some time together and to get to know each other. We are under the assumption that Paul Moore did not know that Nyria Johnson was transgender when he asked her to pull over, when the two got out of the car, when they exchanged phone numbers. We are assuming under that. And Nyria Johnson has the right in that moment not to disclose her gender identity because she's just getting to know him and she has to be secure for her safety. But then we're going to go to the night of the murder. It's Around the evening of July 22nd, around 10 p.m., Naraya Johnson's best friend, Brandy Coleman, calls Paul Moore's home and asks to speak to Curtis Ward. Curtis Ward, who had kind of started to form his own sort of relationship, friendship with Brandy Coleman, you know, he picks up the phone. She asks if her and Nyria Johnson can come over and just hang out with her and Paul Moore and Curtis Ward. All of them were going to hang out again. 
And it seemed to be going well. Curtis Ward agreed. Brandy Coleman comes over. Nyria Johnson comes over. Eyewitnesses at the apartment complex says that they saw Nyria Johnson, Brandy Coleman, Paul Moore, and Curtis Ward all sitting outside on the balcony of the apartments in Indianapolis, Indiana. So when this murder took place, we have to really go back and peel back the timeline. We have to go back and peel out what led up to between the night of July 22nd and around 5 a.m. on July 23rd of 2003. So according to court documents, we know that Brandy Coleman reached out to Curtis Ward about coming over. We know that around 10 p.m., Noriah Johnson and Brandy Coleman arrives into the apartment complex. The two are seen, the four are seen talking to each other outside of the apartment for about a couple of hours. Eyewitnesses, for some reason, a lot of people were just kind of hanging out that night. It was a Wednesday night, uh, but people were still up on, you know, way into 12 a.m. on July 23rd. And so when we see, you know, when eyewitnesses see Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman go into the home around 12 a.m. on July 23rd, that is the last time that they are seen alive. Now, according to Curtis Ward, when he spoke to the police later, he mentions that he can recall around 12.50 that morning, Paul Moore bursting into his room with a handgun, the type of handgun, a Ruger P90 handgun. This is gonna be important, y'all, because this lets us know ballistics. What type of handgun was used to kill Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman. Just to go back for a moment, when I talk about these terms of transgender and cisgender, I mentioned in episode one regarding the murder of Amanda Milan about when someone is assigned female at birth or male at birth and they still identify as that gender, they are considered cisgender, meaning they have not undergone any form of social and or medical transitioning. In Nyria's case, she was assigned male at birth And so she identified as female, therefore making her transgender female. So when Paul Moore bursts into Curtis's Ward's room with the Ruger P90 handgun, he demands to speak to Curtis Ward in the kitchen. The two step out of the room and they begin to have a conversation. Now, the reason why I believe that Nyria Johnson did not disclose that night as well that she was transgender was because I really don't think her and Brandy Coleman had the expectations of having sex with Paul Moore and Curtis Ward. I really believe that they were there to just hang out. They're young teenagers. They're impressionable. Brandy Coleman is a new mom. She has a two-month-old daughter at the time that she's murdered. So she's trying to get out the house, meet people. She's newly broken up from the father of her unborn, I mean, the father of her daughter. So she's looking to get out. She reaches out to Curtis Ward. They've been having a good conversation. They all want to just hang out, talk, and continue that chemistry. We do know that phone and text message conversations had been occurring from 
June 18th from the first time that Nyria Johnson and Paul Moore met all the way up until the night of July 22nd. After that, there is no evidence that Nyria Johnson and Paul Moore ever communicated again. And the reason being is because Nyria Johnson is dead by the hands of Paul Moore. The four all end up in the living room that day, that early morning. It's about 1 a.m. And they spend about 40 minutes just talking some more, really talking about this concept of transgender, this concept of what it means to, to be in a different body than what you're signed. And even though they're having these conversations, there's still no clarification as to whether Nyria Johnson is transgender. We know that Nyria Johnson, according to Curtis, Curtis Ward, begins to become uncomfortable with this conversation. She excuses herself and asks to go to the restroom around about 1.30 in the morning. She goes into the restroom. We know that she's afraid for her life. She's scared. She's trying to figure out a way how to get out. She's hoping that maybe Brandy Coleman, who is cisgender, can actually diffuse the situation. Maybe if Brandy can advocate for her, then maybe this will reduce the situation and no harm and violence will come to either of them. And as much as Brandy Coleman pleaded with Curtis Ward and Paul Moore to just let them go, to just not even, you know, continue communicating anymore, Paul Moore and Curtis Ward could not handle that. They could not handle the fact that they were not sure about Nyria Johnson's gender identity. And if she is transgender, that Brandy Coleman knew and did not say anything. So in that moment, Paul Moore, who's completely furious, who's completely angry and ready to cause violence, bursts, literally breaks in the bathroom door. Naraya Johnson is crouching over by the bathtub, rocking in a fetal position, afraid, begging, please leave me alone. Let us go. Paul Moore slams the door. Brandy Coleman can remember according to Curtis' word, can be seen trying to stop the situation from escalating. She's pleading with Paul Moore to leave Nyria Johnson alone to let her be, to let them be, to let them go. Brandy Coleman even mentions that she has an infant daughter to get home to. Paul Moore is not hearing any of it. In that moment, he decides that he's gonna get to the bottom of this. He pulls down Nyria's pants and discovers that she's assigned male at birth according to her anatomical sex. At this time, Nyria, age 17, is newly transitioning, maybe within a year or so. She's socially transitioning. She hasn't really medically transitioned, so there, she would be considered a preoperative trans woman. And therefore, she would not have undergone any gender reassignment surgeries like vaginoplasty. None of that had happened yet. So when Paul Moore pulled down her pants and discovered that she was assigned male at birth based on her genitalia, he snapped. 
he yells for Curtis Ward to come in here. He shows Curtis Ward Nyria Johnson's nude body and therefore states, see, I knew it. I knew something was off. And the reason why we believe, I personally believe that Paul Moore became suspicious is because Nyria Johnson did not want to have sex with him because Nyria Johnson did not want him to touch her inappropriately. Just because she went in the room with him does not mean that she was inviting sex. It doesn't mean that she was inviting anything more than just a friendly conversation. And whether she wanted that or not, if she decided that she didn't want to later on, that was her right. And it wasn't his right to then go and make assumptions about her gender identity. But unfortunately, he did. And unfortunately, he discovered Nyria Johnson's gender identity that she is transgender, that she was transgender. And so he demands that Curtis Ward goes and grabs some wire hangers out of their closets and bind Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman up. The two are then placed in the living room, bind, gagged. And then somewhere around 2.33 a.m., CCV footage can see Nyria Johnson's car leaving and Curtis Ward's car following. So we speculate that most likely Paul Moore asked Curtis Ward to follow him in Nyria Johnson's car. The car that Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman came in was a Jeep Cherokee. Nyria and Brandy are placed in the back of the Jeep, tied and gagged. And as Paul Moore and Curtis Ward begin to travel in Indianapolis, they stumble across a wooded area in Fall Creek Corridor Park. As they get into this corridor area, the opening of the park, remember it's about 4.30, 4.45 a.m. at this time. They've gotten Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman into the vehicles without being noticed because at this point it's about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. Most individuals are asleep, getting ready for the Thursday working day. So the witnesses who saw them go in around 12 a.m. have since then retreated into their own homes to retire for the evening. So when they take the victims out, bind and gag, they're still alive, but they're unable to make noise and they're unable to cause any attention that would alert witnesses or neighbors to look out their window. So we know that Curtis Ward and Paul Moore placed Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman into the back of the car around 3.30 that morning. They get to Fall Creek around 4.30 and then they ungag. Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman, where the two begin to beg and plead for their lives. Nyria Johnson is stating that she's sorry, according to Curtis Ward. She's sorry. She won't do this again. She has a family. She's only 17. She's pleading. Bang goes the gun. The bullet enters Nyria Johnson's forehead as she utters those last final words. Brandy Coleman is left next. She's pleading with Paul Moore as well. Please, I have a two month old daughter. I have a family. Please do not do this. Bang goes Brandy Coleman. The two had been shot in the forehead 
with the Ruger P90 handgun in the back of the Jeep. And what happens next is of such horror that you cannot even believe how depraved humanity can be at times. How hateful this homicide truly was, all because of Nyria Johnson's gender identity. If that wasn't enough, Paul Moore and Curtis Ward goes to a gas station. They have an empty gas jug. They fill it up with gas. They go back to Fall Creek, where Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman, at this time around 5 a.m., are dead. On July 23rd, 2003, and they go back. They douse the Jeep with gas. And then they set it on fire. And so somewhere between 5 a.m. and around 12 p.m., the car had been burning. Residents, uh, people, citizens of Indianapolis, whether it's for a morning jog, whether it's for an afternoon stroll, whatever the case may be, someone ultimately discovered the burning vehicle. They called the ambulance, they called the firefighters, they called 911. And when they called 911, the emergency personnel immediately rushed out to Fall Creek. And there they discovered the bodies. The bodies are burned beyond recognition. They're charred. Dental records are not even able to help. But Brandy Coleman's mother filed a missing person report. And when she filed that missing persons report, she ultimately discovered that her daughter had been last seen going into the apartment of Paul Moore and Curtis Wards. We know that through time that the bodies are identified. So around July 31st of 2003, both Paul Moore and Curtis Ward have been arrested for the murders of Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman. We know when the firefighters were alerted to the burning vehicle, they were found lying on the back seat of the Jeep. Again, their bodies were burned beyond recognition. They were burned so bad you couldn't even determine race or sex of either victim. We know that the Indianapolis Marion County police decided that the murders were that. They were homicides. We know that the, that the, that the personnel ultimately discovered the identity of the victims because on July 24th of 2003, that's that Thursday, the next day, the coroner's office officially released Nyria Johnson's and Brandy Coleman's names as the homicide's victims. He also determined coroner John Mitchell also reported that each victim had been shot by the Ruger, remember? That each victim had been shot in the forehead before the fire started. Also, the police investigators of Marion County 
determined that gasoline had been poured into the back seat and ignited. So we know that the vehicle was later identified by Brandy Coleman's mom, Mary Coleman, when she recognized the vehicle from news reports. She had already reported her daughter missing because she knew that her daughter would never abandon her two month old daughter and not be home the next morning to feed her and care for her. So when she goes and calls and files a missing persons report and later in the news, because the news is also now covering this crime. And again, we don't know who the victims are. So this is becoming a, a pro prolific case. And they discover in, in the news media, the footage, Mary Coleman's discovers the FedEx plate on the front of the car. She knew this FedEx plate of the car belonged to Brandy Coleman. The reason why, because Mary Coleman herself worked at that FedEx where the plate was given. When she saw the FedEx plate on the vehicle, she didn't realize that she needed to call the police and file a report. And as she files that report, around Thursday, July 31st, 2003, Paul Moore is also arrested, again, along with Curtis Ward. But Paul Moore also had a friend by the name of Adrian Beverly. And so what we know is, is that Adrian Beverly was also a friend of Paul Moore and Curtis Wars and was also one of the individuals that Paul Moore reached out to for help. And so we know that when Adrian Be Beverly, you know, identifies Paul Moore as well as being the person that killed Nyria Johnson based on the confession of Paul Moore to Adrian Beverly, as well as including Adrian Beverly into the mix by saying, hey, can you, you know, you make sure that we clean our vehicles? Can you make sure that we clean the apartment, right? So Adrian Beverly is, is, is serving as this kind of accessory after the fact. And when she learns of the crime, she definitely went ahead and turned more in. And so they are ultimately charged Paul Moore and Curtis Ward were arrested, charged with murder, confinement, and arson. But here's the thing, everyone. This is 2003. So in this moment, we're having a lot of Nyria's information being the fact that she's been misgendered. They're using her old name. They're not using her preferred name. Even media footage is calling her by her dead name. The name that she chooses to no longer associate as. She's even unfortunately buried in that same name today. So, as this case began to really center on what it was about, it was about a man who could not handle the fact that a transgender woman did not want to have sex with him, one, did not disclose her gender identity, 
And whether that is true or not, we're not sure. But according to testimony from Paul Moore's attorney, he was under the assumption that Nyria Johnson was cisgendered. And upon getting intimate into the early mornings of July 23rd, 2003, he began to become suspicious. Unfortunately, this led to Nyria's murder, but the case wasn't over. We know that a third man was also arrested in this case. Adrian Beverly was the one who identified Paul Moore in Curtis Ward based off of the confession. She served in that capacity, but Clarence McGee, a friend of, no, and, and I'm sorry, not actually a friend, but he's actually the older, older maternal half-brother of Paul Moore and a friend of Curtis Ward. He's arrested as well for helping his brother Paul Moore, you know, get rid of some additional evidence, right? Clarence McGee helps get rid of the gun. Clarence McGee helps, you know, come up with an alibi. Uh, they even told the police when they were initially investigated that, you know, Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman came over, but they left on their own and they don't know how they landed in Fall, you know, Creek, burned to death. So as we go into April 14th, 2004, this is gonna be the first trial, the first trial of Paul Moore and Clarence McGee. You may be asking yourself, well, what about Curtis Ward? What happened to him? Well, he decides to testify against Paul Moore and Clarence McGee in exchange for lesser charges and a lesser sentence. As a result of Curtis Ward's testimony against Paul Moore and Clarence McGee, the jury found both men guilty. Both Paul Moore and Clarence McGee was convicted on two counts of murder, criminal confinement, and arson. McGee was also convicted of arson, assisting a criminal, and obstruction of justice. Around Wednesday, May 5th, 2004, Judge Robert Altus gave Moore combined sentences of 120 years for the murders of Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman. Moore also received consecutive 55-year sentences for the murder of Johnson and Coleman and concurrent 10-year sentences for each count of confinement and arson. Clarence McGee was only sentenced to 10 years in prison for being an accomplice and has since been released from the Indianapolis Department of Corrections. Paul Moore did try to appeal his conviction and unfortunately or fortunately for the victims, his sentence were upheld and his appeals, all appeals were denied as of May. 2005. So let's take a moment 
take some time to get to know a little bit more about our victims. Nyria Johnson, age 17, and Brandy Coleman, age 18. Both lost their lives tragically on Wednesday morning, July 23rd, 2003, around 5 a.m. Nyria Johnson, born 1986, as described as a lovely, outgoing, energetic person who was just coming to her own. She was getting ready to enter her senior year of high school that fall of 2003, literally within a month and a half. And she was expected to graduate high school in Indianapolis in 2004. While in high school, she meets her really good friend, Brandy Michelle Coleman, born 1985. When they first met Nyria, a freshman, and Coleman, Brandy Coleman, a sophomore, the two began as friends. They hung out and then they even became sisters. Nyria confided in Brandy about her gender identity around 2001 around the age of 15, and Brandy Coleman completely supported Nyria. So much to the fact that Nyria really could count on Brandy to be there for her, to go places with her when she was uncomfortable. Nyria, who was still new into her gender journey, was still uncomfortable going into certain public spaces, unsure of how the public would receive her. Nyria Johnson described as a beautiful five foot seven, you know, voluptuous African-American trans woman, you know, trans teenager, trans girl, we should say, in the prime of her life. She loved the music. She was a big fan of Mary J. Blige, according to her other friends, Paul Sebastian and Tony Starks. She loved people. She would give you the shirt off her back. She was described as very funny. She could make you laugh as well. There was always a good time when Nyria was around. Mary Coleman, the mother of Brandy Coleman, described her as dedicated. She graduated high school just a couple of months before. And at the same time, as she's graduating high school, she gives birth to her daughter. And Brandy is also described as being forgiving, being open-minded, and being a really, really good friend and support system to Nyria Johnson, especially as Nyria went under her gender journey, as she began to undergo her gender journey. And so when Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman met Paul Moore and Curtis Ward that night of June 18, 2003, they were really looking for people to hang out with and get to know and spend time with. And Brandy Coleman, who had been with her high school boyfriend on and off for a couple of years, the father of her daughter, had recently split. So Brandy was also looking to get back out there, put herself back out there. And, you know, even though her and Nyria were not expecting to meet Paul Moore and Curtis Ward, 
Mary Coleman can remember Brandy coming to her saying, oh, mom, I've met this guy named Curtis. He's attractive. He's a few years older. He has a job. He even has his own place. So this is for her at that time, a, a step up from, you know, her high school sweetheart who was at that time still trying to figure out what he wanted, if he was even committed to being a dad. And so to meet someone like Curtis Ward was a huge breath of fresh air. And even for Nyria Johnson, even though her high school classmates knew that she was transgender, she still wasn't um, dating anyone. She still wasn't out and getting to know people. So when she met Paul Moore, this was really one of the first guys to take interest in her since her gender journey began. Honestly, according to both Mary Coleman and Paul Sebastian, family and friends of the victims, they both said that both Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman spoke highly of Paul Moore and Curtis Ward, citing that the two men seemed fairly kind and caring and considerate. And they would even spend time, like up to hours, texting and talking on the phone. Both Brandy Coleman and Nyria Johnson would both spend copious amounts of time on the phone texting and talking to Paul Moore and Curtis Ward. So the irony and the tragedy as well, not only with their murders, is that Nyria Johnson and Paul, Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman actually saw Paul Moore and Curtis Ward as good guys. And they had no idea that just within a month of meeting, that they would be dead. Since this crime has happened, this case really began to catapult in the Indiana, Indiana and Indianapolis community the visibility for trans individuals. This case garnered so much attention that it was even covered by the Orlando Centennial in Orlando, Florida. It's really unfortunate when we look at these cases, so many times we have to ask ourselves, how did this happen and why? And with this case, like so many others that we're gonna continue to cover, it was simply these young trans individuals, and they don't even have to be young, they can be older as well, it's simply trans and gender non-binary and gender diverse community members living their lives, standing in their truth. And then it's snuffed out by someone who is not aware of gender identities, that are not aware of transgender individuals, and certainly not at a mindset to be able to navigate through gender identity. But that's no excuse to kill someone. It's no excuse to go and shoot both victims in the head. Douse the car on fire, ignite it with a flame, and let it basically cook, burn for seven hours until passerbyers discovered the burning vehicle. 
There was an interview done with Paul Moore following his appeals being completely, you know, closed and done for good. And this interview occurred about five years after the murder and about four years into his sentencing, into his conviction. Someone uh, wanted to take a moment and interview Paul Moore. This someone is named Jillian Phillips. And she's part of the British UK media and in this case captivated her at that time. Partly because she had a friend around the same age as Nyria who was trans and white, but had also went through a similar homicide in the UK. And for Jillian Phillips, she really wanted to understand why these cisgendered men, especially specifically in cases cisgendered men of color, are killing mainly trans women of color. So, on August 17th, 2008, Jillian Phillips prepares to fly from the UK, United Kingdom, to Indianapolis, Indiana, and go to the Department of Corrections to interview Paul Moore. Remember, at this point, he's already serving at least 300 years in prison, along with Ward, who has his sentence, along with McGee, who has his sentence. But she really wanted to talk to Paul Moore, more so than Clarence McGee and Curtis Ward, because Paul Moore was the actual perpetrator. He was the one, at the age of 20, decided to kill two young women, one of the trans experience and one of the cis experience. She flies out from the United Kingdom, landing on August 18, 2003, she goes to the prison and sets up a time along with her staff to talk to Paul Moore. She asks him, why Paul? As you've had time to look back at the actions of July 23rd, 2003, fast forward five years later to August 18th, 2008, she asked him, quote unquote, have you had time to reflect on your actions and behavior? Moore states, yes. He admits that at that time, he was under the influence of alcohol. He was under the influence of drugs. He states, because there was never a toxicology done on the bodies to determine if Nyria Johnson and or Brandy Coleman both were drinking and or doing any drugs. But according to the interview with Paul Moore, he states that himself, Curtis Ward, as well as Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman, all participated in drinking on the porch, the balcony that night. They also participated in drugs inside of the home and that unfortunately, this continued to lead to a, a situation of violence. He was intoxicated. He was, you know, deranged, delusional. He wasn't sure. And he ultimately decided to act. He knew in that moment that he was going to kill both Naraya Johnson and Brandy Coleman. Quote, unquote, by Paul Moore to Jillian Phillips. He says, I knew 
when I saw that she had what she had, that I couldn't let her live anymore. In his mind, still five years later, he still felt that he was wronged by Nyria Johnson. He did seem to be somewhat remorseful, according to some other sources that were part of that interview process, but only remorseful that he got caught, not that he killed her. Jillian Phillips also later interviewed Clarence McGee, the older brother of Paul Moore. And he even said that Paul was very proud of what he did. He bragged about the fact that he had killed these two, you know, quote unquote, sissies. He even used some other expletives to describe both Nyria Johnson and Brandy Coleman. He even then later said that Paul Moore, quote unquote, told Clarence McGee that he was even pissed at Brandy for the fact that she knew that Nyria Johnson was trans and did not warn them. And so in that moment, he felt that justice was served. Jillian Phillips left that interview being shook, feeling that despite what Paul Moore has said, that she knew that he never felt guilty. And it was sad because you're looking at this 20-year-old young man with his whole life ahead of him, and he has given that away. Now, I can't say if we went and interviewed Paul today or Curtis or Clarence, if they would still feel the same way. You know, obviously they're a lot older. It's this, this murder happened, you know, almost 18 years ago. So he certainly had more time to reflect. But I'm going to pretty much guess that if he didn't change in five years since murdering her at that time, I doubt he's changed within 18 years. So as we get ready to wrap up this case, I just want to remind each and every one of you, if you don't know someone who's trans, get to know someone who's trans. Take the time to really know them, even if you're attracted to them, especially cis men who are attracted to trans women. Please take the time to get to know the person that you're dating. And if they choose not to tell you that they're trans in the beginning, it's because they're thinking of their safety. And they're even wondering if this is going to go anywhere. Why disclose my gender identity to someone if I know the relationship isn't going to go anywhere, especially if it's only friendship? And to this day, we're not quite sure if Nyria Johnson wanted more from Paul. We know that she thought he was handsome. We know that he was one of the first guys to give her attention since her gender journey. But we're not sure if it was going to even, if she even wanted it to lead somewhere romantic. She was getting ready to start her senior year of high school. So who knows what her future would have held and who else she would have met. So as a cautionary tale to the cisgendered men, before you react, take a moment and really take a deep breath and think to yourself, the actions that I'm about to take because I did not know this person was trans, is it worth me spending the rest of my life in prison for? Nyria Johnson was only a young 17-year-old trans woman trying to live her life and to be happy. And unfortunately, on the morning of July 23rd, 2003, her life ended by the hands of Paul Moore. And also, as a casual tragedy, as a casualty to this tragedy, her best friend, Brandy Coleman, age 18, a single mom of a two-month-old daughter at the time, is gone. 
These families are wrecked. They're shattered. There's no bringing them back. Mary Coleman, the mother of Randy Coleman, continues to raise awareness regarding these types of homicides. And I think her and the others, tireless community members are doing so. Remember, A Hateful Homicide is a true crime podcast focusing on the murders of transgender, gender diverse, and gender non-binary community members. There are more stories to be told. So, Nyria Johnson, 1986 to July 23rd, 2003. And Brandy Coleman, 1985 to July 23, July 23rd, 2003. We remember you both today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Thank you so much for joining the second episode of A Hateful Homicide. Join me next week as we go into our third case. Stay tuned to find out what it is. Again, if you have any feedback, suggestions, any cases that you may think that I should cover, please feel free to reach out to me. You can follow me at Mallory, M-A-L-L-E-R-Y, Jenna, J-E-N-N-A, 90. As a Black trans woman, I'm so honored to be able to tell the stories of my fallen family members who are no longer here to have their voice. These people existed. They were on this earth for however long they were, and they deserve to have their stories told. And I'm just going to continue to do that on a hateful homicide. Until next time, thank you. And goodbye.